Got a minute? Huh? I'm going to say a word. You tell me what comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. Tchaikovsky. Gesundheit. Okay. What's the word? No. See, that is the word. What does Tchaikovsky make you think of? I don't know. Allergy season? Uh, hey there. How you doing? What's up? Who's Martha Graham? Mm, she invented the graham cracker. No kidding. Yeah. Before her, there was only soda crackers. Hard to imagine. Uh, hey, young lady. Yeah? Uh, does the name Man Ray mean anything to you? Ta. The man ray is a kind of poisonous jellyfish, and it lives in the Gulf of Mexico. Aha! It's very deadly. Are your kids as well-rounded as they could be? Kids who participate in the arts do better in school and in life. To learn more about the value of arts education, visit americansforthearts.org, because all kids should get to appreciate Tchaikovsky's music, Martha Graham's dance, and man ray's photography. Art. Ask for more. A public service message brought to you by Americans for the Arts and the Ad Council. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Well, hello, party partners, and welcome to radio's finest hour of power, star style B, the star you are. We are a program of positive book talk and success coaching with authors and experts to help you excel in life. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Libby Gill, and we are the Success Sisters. And, of course, we are thrilled to be your life coaches right here on the airwaves every week. So get ready to pump your energy. Love, learn, laugh, listen, and live your dreams through books and media. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you to be the star of your own life. For more information on getting private consultations, go to www.star-style.com or call 925-377-STAR, that's 7827. And this is from Wayne Dyer. When you judge another, you do not define them. You define yourself. Well, we'll be talking more about that. In our first segment today, Libby and I are discussing the modeling industry and the images they project by advertising being too thin while we're in the success corner, in the coaching corner. In our second segment, we have Buffy Shutt and Kate Shimo joining us, and they're going to have the ultimate midlife handbook, Coming of Age All Over Again. It's really a romp for in the wild, lots of fun. And Sheila Ellison shows us how to create the world we want to live in with her book, If Women Ruled the World, in our last segment. So grab a cup of tea, sit back, and enjoy this hour of power. It is a dynamic one for you. Well, as the Success Sisters, we wanted to talk today a little bit about 
death by modeling. The modeling industry is a huge industry, and some of the images that they're showing are not always so positive. And we're not just talking from a fashion perspective. Now, we're going to talk about the downside, the, the really the tragic side of modeling, because at least two young women, two models have died of anorexia, literally starved themselves to death for fashion. And, and that's tragic enough right there, but what Cynthia mentioned is, is just as or even more tragic in its implications, because look at what the fashion industry is sending out in terms of messages to women and girls. And Cynthia, you're exactly the right person to discuss this with, because you used to be a professional model. And you've also raised a daughter who's dealt with a lot of these issues, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And so these are something that I think that they're very in, important to talk about because, you know, I think that the modeling industry is sending out images that we have to be size zeros. And unfortunately, that is so not the case. The average American woman is a size 12 and a woman 5'4". Her average weight in America, and although everybody out there is going to go, oh, my God, that sounds fat, the average weight is around 146 pounds. And so now we have these models that are 5'9", and we're weighing 118, 125 pounds. I mean, this is kind of scary. Well, the, the woman, the first one that really got some attention was a young woman, Brazilian model, named Anna Carolina Reston, and she died of anorexia last November. She was five foot eight. She weighed eighty-eight pounds. That is the average weight of a twelve-year-old. Oh, this is that's so sad. But she wasn't the first casualty of the runway. There was another woman, a Uruguayan model named Luisa Ramos. She died of heart failure, but it was heart failure due to the complications of anorexia at a fashion show in Montevideo after they, the report said that she was existing on soft drinks and lettuce. And, you know, Libby, that is not uncommon. I want to tell you that backstage when you're working with other models that a common diet are lettuce leaves and uh, diet drinks, which diet drinks, as we know, have absolutely no good nutrients or anything in it. And people that are um, struggling with this anorexia, they will eat like one pea, and they think that that's going to carry them over. Well, Cynthia, I, I don't know if, if all your listeners know that you, you wrote a book called The Business of Show Business, and, but also that you were a professional model and an actress earlier in your career. Was the modeling industry, was it the same way back then as it is now with all this uh, attention on excessive thinness? Well, you know, this is, that's a really great, great question, Libby, because the answer is yes and no. I started my modeling actually in the early 70s. And interestingly enough, then people were still a little bit more curvy. And, you know, I, I, I'm definitely one of those curvy girls. But I remember so specifically, I did a lot of bathing suit modeling, is always being afraid to be in that bathing suit thinking that I was fat. And I look back at photos now, and, of course, it was like, I, you know, I weighed like 107 pounds, which I definitely don't weigh now. So I was actually very, you know, I was thin. I wasn't anorexic. But what I found with a lot of the girls that I was working with, anorexia, I don't believe, had a name in those days. You were just either thin or you were heavy set or, you know, or big boned. And that if you really wanted to do the runway modeling, you had to fit into the sizes. But we did not have size zero in those days. Mm -hmm. and, and probably not a whole lot of size twos either. 
There, exactly. The, the normal sizes in those days, if you were a junior, you were wearing threes, fives, or sevens, mm-hmm. and those were model sizes. Or if you were doing missy, misses, then you were like six or eights, and that was a real common size. As, but it has really changed. It, I think it's really changed in that amount of time. And we all remember Marilyn Monroe. I mean, if her size was actually a size 14. Wow. And if you look at some of the older films from the 30s and 40s, even the musicals with the chorus girls, even knowing that the camera puts on some weight, they were much heavier than they are now, and they looked they looked curvy and feminine, and, and it's become such a cultural shift that we've accepted this, this thinness as okay. But then when you look at these models, and there are pictures all over the Internet with these models who were just emaciated. Well, I think it's very frightening because... I- First of all, they are, we call them models, but are they role models for our kids? And that is what's the frightening part, is one of the things that was big in the days when I was modeling, and it's still very big in magazines, was airbrushing. So if you went in and you didn't have the perfect body, I mean, you were pretty good, but, you know, we didn't call it cellulite in those days either. You just had some ripples or some fat. They would airbrush it out of you, or they would airbrush out a pimple. So what the public always saw were these perfect, absolutely amazing bodies, which nobody can live up to. And I can tell you from my point of view, my husband would always freak out when I was doing all my, throughout my modeling years, whenever I gained the tiniest little bit of weight or I had some little mar on me, he would freak out that I wasn't ever going to work again. Interestingly, it didn't bother me so much, but it really bothered him. And I would always say, how can you say this? They'll just airbrush it out. And that's, I think, something that's a very, very different that the general public doesn't realize is how much airbrushing is done even to these quote-unquote perfect girls. So when our young girls, young women, as, as young as, you know, six and seven-year-olds are pouring through these fashion magazines, what they're seeing, I mean, there are some of these models who are so thin already, but they're seeing the perfect, the flawless skin and perfect hair, but they're not seeing that there can be 25, 30 people on the set lighting it, the makeup artist, the hairstylist, and then the people that do all the retouching that you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. And I have a couple of great examples of that. I have one um, new acting client who the little girl is only seven, and her dream is to be America's next top model. And she is a little bit larger. The great thing about what her parents are doing is they're, they're just encouraging her to enjoy, you know, who she is and not putting any weight thing on her. I just got finished speaking at a school where kids as young as six, they were kindergartners, were worried about their body image and their weight issues. These are six-year-olds because of the pictures that they see in magazines and the girls that they see on television. And I think that is just horrible. I think the best thing that has happened to us is the fact that Jennifer uh, Hudson mm-hmm. won an Academy Award because it's time that stars start carrying their curves you know, with confidence. And perhaps if we have more people like um, Queen Latifah. And Jennifer Lopez. And Jennifer Lopez. And we start embracing our bodies as the beautiful bodies that they are. Our children, both boys and girls, are going to grow up healthier. Because- well, you know, some of the countries um, where this has been a real factor have started to take this this issue of the, the dying to be thin seriously. And the Spanish government, last year during Fashion Week, made models participate in a weigh-in. So Instead of making sure they were thin enough to get on the runway, they made sure they were heavy enough, and they actually had to meet 
a body mass index of, actually there was a number, it was 18. It's 18, yeah. 18 meant that a model who was 5'10 had to weigh at least 125 pounds. And I applaud that because we have to have consequences. A great example of that is uh, Tyra Banks, who, you know, recently has, uh, she's weighing about 161 pounds and she's being called fat. Mm -hmm. And her body mass when she was modeling in 1992 was only uh, about Mm 16.2, which means that in today's day she would not be eligible to be going down the runway. And the beautiful thing about her, I think that we can look at her and say she's really role modeling how models can look, is that she is embracing her curviness. She has breasts. She eats, you know, normal food. She's got a behind. Exactly. And and she says, hey, ladies, I've got jiggles and cellulite, too. It's just that when she's on the runway doing her Victoria's Secret stuff, you know, she'll have stockings on that hold it in. So, again, we have to let the girls out there, although boys do this as well, know that that we cannot just be dieting because there's a word in there, die, D-I-E. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means you will die. So we can't live on lettuce leaves and peas and diet sodas. We have to have a balanced diet, and we really need to learn to take care of ourselves and not look at these people who are anorexic as our role models. And, you know, there, there's science to back that up now, Cynthia. For the first time um, of a study of this type, it was released in January from the University of Minnesota. And there was a study looking at these fashion magazines, which we common sense tells us it's probably not good for young girls to be looking at all these models to be their role models for thinness. But what they did is they gave a group of, of kids, it was actually boys and girls and middle and high school age kids, they, they gave them fashion magazines. One group read the fashion magazines that had lots of articles about dieting and weight loss, and one group didn't read any of those magazines. Well, boys, interestingly enough, were not affected at all. Either group, they were the same. didn't make any difference. But girls were twice as likely, the ones that read the magazines that had all the fashion and dieting, were twice as likely as those who didn't read the magazines to start engaging in unhealthy weight loss activities. Or, and they were three times as likely to try extreme dieting behaviors like laxatives and diuretics and and purging and all of those things. So it clearly had an effect, and this was over a five-year period of time. See, that's an incredible study because it really shows how the media affects what we do in our lives. And as parents and as guardians of our children and teachers, we really have to be on the alert of what kinds of of, uh, implications are going into their brain. What are they reading? What are they viewing on the Internet? What are they talking about amongst themselves? What are they watching on TV? It's, It's really critical because I also think that the fashion designers, as you have talked about before, they have to get on board and start creating wardrobe for healthy-looking women and healthy-looking girls because most of these designer clothes, where are you going to wear it anyway, and who can wear it unless you are sick? Well, well, you know, after the after Spain stepped up, the government in France and, and Brazil and other countries started really putting consequences in place and dictating these minimum weights for their models, 
our fashion council, the Council of Fashion Designers of America, they re- they released their guidelines to the fashion industry, but the only problem was there was no accountability, no methods, no means. They just said, here's what we should be doing. We should be educating our models on weight issues. We should be creating a healthier work environment. But there's no meat on the bones, no accountability whatsoever. And to me, that's just that's paying lip service that's and doing nothing. That doesn't do anything at all. That's not helping at all. You know, one other thing I was going to say, too, that I think there's been a change, and I'm happy to see it. When you board an airline today, you see flight attendants of all ages and all sizes. And when I first worked, uh, while I was modeling, I was also working um, in the airline business. And in those days, in the early 70s, they used to weigh you. Oh, I remember that. And that was really horrific because there was another industry where, again, we didn't call it anorexia, but where girls were starving themselves before they had to go on flights. And, they, you know, you'd pass out and all that because you had to weigh a certain amount. So at least we made some strides in one industry, and now we really have to do it in the in the fashion industry. Well, let's look at at what we can do ourselves. If we can't control the fashion industry, at least we can we can start to control our feelings about our body image and and self image, and look at some of these biases. So let's uh, maybe we should run through our success steps. I love that, Libby. That's a good idea because that way it's giving some steps to people what they can do in their own lives. Some practical information. Well, the first thing you can do is is talk Talk to your own health professional, your internist, your family doctor. Establish a weight range for yourself, and you can do this for your kids, uh, although generally people do it for their kids on their pediatric visits, but they forget to do it for themselves as adults. But decide what's going to be your way you measure yourself, and then whether it's the body mass index or pounds or your favorite pair of blue jeans, Find an objective measure so that you really know when you're too thin and when you're you're too fat, you know, when you've gone the other way. And I also would like to, to add on to that if you're a parent of, of girls especially, is to be cautious of the way that they are eating and the way that they're acting. And if they start wearing big baggy clothes, you better start taking a look at it and making sure that they are not going down the path of anorexia or bulimia. Right. And success step number two is, is listen to your own language, just what you were saying, Cynthia. Really start to monitor how you're talking in front of your kids about weight and body image and, and drop all those references that, do I look fat in this? Stop that. Keep that out of the house and instead focus on fitness and healthy eating and nutritious food. It's so important, and if you have a little garden or you have a box grow some of your own vegetables and herbs and to bring your children into this. Kids love growing things. It's, I always I like to teach kids to create a pizza garden where they can grow tomatoes and vegetables and all of that, and then they make a pizza with it. Oh, that's great. And that's healthy. That's great. And then last step, our last success step is complain to the editors of magazines who glamorize these unhealthy images or send those mixed messages with the dessert recipe on one page and emaciated models on the next. So Use your voice because they've all got websites and they're all looking for feedback. And that might be the best uh, tip of them all, the best success step, because advertisers pay attention to what the consumers want. So if we fight back, if we say what we need to see out there, uh, the media is going to take a listen. So we've got the three success steps there. Well, why don't we check in with our health and fitness? 
looking good. Mine's been, I've been on track since it's been pretty good. And when we're talking about how we monitor our weight, I've lost 30 pounds in just over three months at one point in my life, which was much too much weight too fast. And that's when I learned about having an objective measure. And now I've got one pair of pants that are my, my most expensive pair. That Those are my control pants. If they don't fit, I know something, I'm a, either too heavy or too light. But as long as I can fit into them, life is good, and I'm right about where I should be. See, I'm very similar to that. I do. I don't get on a scale because I, they scare me. I'm afraid then you get on a scale and it's going to say that you're not what you used to be. Instead, I, I go how my clothes fit. And as long as my clothes fit me the way I want, I'm a happy camper. And if they start getting a little tight, I know that I have to just, you know, cut back a little bit or exercise more. And what I have found over the years is the best way to maintain my weight is just to eat less, exercise more. End of story. Pretty okay. simple. Sounds good to me. Well, Libby, this was wonderful. We don't want anybody going out there and dying to be thin because this is, seems to be a trend that we're going with today. So please monitor it. Take a look at the websites. Go to LibbyGill.com for more information. And if you need life coaching, visit LibbyGill.com. She, obviously, you can tell she has got it going. Libby, my success sister, great session. It was wonderful. So you have been listening to Cynthia Bryan and Libby Gill, and we'll see you next week in the Coaching Corner. And we are your success sisters. Don't go away. More to come. And the ultimate midlife handbook with Kate Kilmo and Buffy Shutt coming right up on Star Style. Be the star you are with Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. I'm Mary Hart, and this is Empowering America. She was born in Newark, New Jersey in 1924. She was blessed with a beautiful voice. And by 19, young Sarah had entered and won an amateur hour contest at Harlem's famous Apollo Theater. A year later, singer Billy Eckstein invited her to join his new group, featuring the legendary Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, and Miles Davis. Sarah, now nicknamed Sassy, dazzled all with the amazing flexibility of her voice. At 20 years old, she cut her first record and was fast becoming a legend among her fellow musicians. She joined Mercury Records in 1954 and embarked on the most prolific years of her career. Over the next three decades, Sassy toured the world and cut more records, her last in 1987. Three years later, in 1990, Sarah Sassy Vaughn passed away, leaving a gaping hole in the world of music. Empowering America is sponsored by the Foundation of American Women in Radio and Television and is made possible by the generous support of AT&T, caring for the communities where we live and work. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Well, every week 
Be the Star You Are showcases incredible authors and experts who enhance and inspire your life. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth at risk through improved literacy and positive message programming just like this radio show. Get involved. Make a contribution. Keep this great show on the air. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. That's www.BeTheStarYouAre.org. Well, you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I'm Cynthia Bryan, your personal growth coach, and I am delighted to be here with you. Every once in a while, a book crosses my desk that I get really, really excited about as a resource guide. And Coming of Age All Over Again is just one of those books. Kate Kilmo and Buffy Shutt are best friends from college. They live on opposite coasts, and they have now entered their 50s and decided it was time to write the book that they needed to read. And they're both with us. They're best friends, after all. Hello, Buffy and Kate. Hey, Hey, welcome to Be The Star You Are. I am so excited to be with you. I want to definitely become one of your Ripple friends. <laughs> what a great book you have written. And any time that I meet somebody that has developed close friendships over three decades, I'm always enchanted by what made him tick because friendship is oh so precious. But your book, Coming of Age All Over Again, is filled, absolutely filled to the brim with personal stories, with tips, with lots of humor, and, of course, ideas on a variety of subjects of what we're going to do in this second chapter of our life. So let's start with you've divided it into many, many different ways, but why don't uh, maybe, Buffy, why don't you start off, just give me a little synopsis of how you and Kate met that first day, you know, in the dorm, and so what made you, you know, you got together, and then what's kept your friendship together all this time? Well, you know, Cynthia, Kate and I were lucky enough to meet the very first day of college, so that's almost 40 years ago, uh, took all the same courses, and began a conversation that hasn't ended, and we've talked to death every single thing that's happened to us in life, from term papers to boyfriends to the meaning of life to kids to getting them to sleep, to marriage struggles, to getting kids into high school, getting them into college. Or I'd settle for a GED at this point. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so basically you guys have, you have talked about everything, and in your book you have emails to each other where you write back and forth of the different parts of your life. But when you were coming into your 50s, you realized you, all, you both went to bookstores. You were trying to find something to get through some of the changes, the troubling times, the empty nest, the going to college, that kind of thing. But you couldn't find the book that you were looking for, so you guys decided to write it. Well, now, Buffy, you're in the entertainment business, and Kate, you're in the publishing business. Right. Right? Right. And so both of you realized, okay, we can do this together. Well, we'd worked on projects before, and um, and we both have sort of a, a can-do attitude. And um, I, I think that we found ourselves researching the book even before we knew it, as a matter of fact. From the moment we went searching for it, we be- began researching for it. Let's put it that way. And um, the book has, you know, it has lots of resources among the things that we searched 
through, but it also has exercises that we kind of tried out on each other because we sort of felt like we had no business, you know, recommending exercises to people that we hadn't ourselves tried. And we just really, we don't really think there's anything wrong with our readers. Our readers are just fine, thank you very much. Uh, in fact, they've accumulated a tremendous amount of knowledge and experience. What we want to do is bombard them with choices. And at the end of every chapter, we sort of, um, you know, and the chapters sort of cover the phases and the aspects of all of our lives, uh, which we can talk about a little bit later. We, we, look, we offer up a kind of a menu, and from that menu, we ourselves design that part of our lives and sort of set a role model for our readers. Well, and this is what I thought was fun about it. First, you have a big cake on the front, and you want people, you know, to eat as much of it as they want or take a slice of what they want. But the way you've done the book is you put, you give all this information, and then you have a section called Putting It All Together, and you do, with every single chapter, you have seven steps. You create time, you reflect, you practice patience, you research, you find role models, you write it down, and you get together. You always have a to-do list, and then you always talk about what your plan is, Kate, and what Buffy's plan is yep. in each of them so that we can see how you're doing it. But And one of the things that I love the most of the book that I think people are going to just love are the resources that you have on virtually every page, from books to websites to statistics to tips. There's just tons and tons of, uh, of research resource that you have done to make this a full book, whether you're talking about travel or sex or family or kids or friends or, you know, just putting your home together. Well, and I think, um, Cynthia, as you say about the, the picture of the cake on, on the, the front of the book, you know, Kate and I love our metaphors, and we just thought well, what the cake represented was something that life is sweet and it's a cause for celebration, but it's also multi-layered, and that each layer of our life, there's, we're, we're complicated and complex beings. And how true, you know, how true that is, and I think especially, I mean, this particular book is, seems geared towards anybody but particularly women, especially as we're kind of branching out in the second part of our life. But in reality, the tips are good for anybody at any age. Yes, we've actually found that to be true. Um, Buffy I and I have been traveling around the country for the past almost three months, giving what we call tea parties, which which are is our word for you know our for, for these sort of seminar slash workshops that we give, and we discover yeah we have a lot of you know sort of forty five to sixty five women and some men there, but there are there's the occasional thirty five year old who sort of says you know this is like advice from a big sister. Exactly, exactly. Well, let's go through some of the chapters and Great. because I really think that that's important to know some of the things that you're, you're talking about. Of course, you talk about who you guys are, and then you talk about how we can get in touch with who we are. Like, you ask, who am I again? So we're trying yeah. to develop that healthy concept of, you know, did we lose ourselves somewhere along the line? Well, women in particular, Buffy and I feel, Cynthia, we're very outwardly directed, and especially in our sort of go-go career and family years. It's all about, how are you? What can I get for you? Are you feeling all right? You know, is, can I whip something up for you? Uh, whether it's in business or in the family. And uh, we sort of feel like we almost have to make a conscious effort now to say, okay, 
stop the, you know, hold the phone. Let's, let's find out what we want and what we need. And, um, our first chapter, which we sort of call the bottom layer of the cake, which is our innermost self. And we sort of ask the reader or encourage the reader to get in touch with that inner self. We call it the inner guidance counselor. You should excuse the expression. But we really do believe that we, that, that each person knows better than any expert, uh, better than even us, <laughs> what they want, what's best for them, what will make them happy. And so we really require, we really encourage the the reader to ask him or herself some questions. You know, what do I want out of life? What what makes me happy? Who am I? Um, How much money is enough? Um, But in order to do this, we, we sort of believe that you need either quiet time with yourself, you know, make make your family go away for a couple of days, you go away for a couple of days, try silent meditation, try meditation, try um, try uh, uh, a trip off someplace by yourself, try, try going to a church, yes. try being a yeah. journal. Yeah, know, exactly. Think about maybe making a little miniature mini Zen garden to calm you down. But do anything of which we have, you know, maybe 50 or 60 ideas, one of them which, of course, is to breathe because, believe it well, or not, that's isn't, one of the Kate, most isn't important Isn't that your things. biggest challenge is breathing? Yes, <laughs> you that know? is my biggest challenge. I'm, I'm one of those real shallow breathers, way up, you know, it's a fight-or-flight pant. Um, and. And, Buffy, yeah. you are a get-everything-done kind of person. Well, I am. And, I mean, Jeez. one of my and, – and in this first chapter we talk about practice patience. And I do have to tell you, Cynthia, that Kate has given me quite a gift recently. I mean, one of the things we say is that we all have these sort of edge behaviors, things that make us impatient and get in the way of kind of getting the important work done because we're so caught up in being impatient with computers and impatient with the line that we're in and the on, on the hold button. And we do things like multitask, and I'm an incredibly, I just multitask, and it's not good news for anyone. Are you multitasking right now, Bob? I'm not. I swear, I'm just sitting here talking to my two friends. Do one thing at a time. One thing at a time, and because I really was struggling with it, because I think we tend to think the more, you know, if we're doing more than one thing at a time, we're just getting more done, Kate sent me a little gift. It was an hourglass, and we believe that you know a half hour glass, a half hour glass exactly. <laughs> that for a half an hour a day, Buffy just needs to do one thing. We don't believe. I don't believe in saying to Buffy, "Stop multitasking, Buffy," because that's just an unreasonable goal. Well, because we can't change anyone, we can only change ourselves, and you make that very obvious throughout your whole book. Absolutely, and we know if we use the word "don't" or "no." We're just setting ourselves up for failure. We're giving ourselves an excuse not to do it. Because we rebel against ourselves. Of course. (laughs) And this is why you and your book, I like the part where you each come up with a plan, which I think is great modeling for the reader. It's it's not enough just to create your to-do list and to go over your seven pieces of you know, of being patient or getting it together, or, you know, all the things that mm-hmm. you're supposed to do. But to come up with a plan where you are really going to implement it and say, I hold myself responsible to do this in this amount of time. Yes, and we really make sure that those plans are, are not overwhelming, that they're fairly simple. I mean, for instance, I don't have the book in front of me, but I think my plan for the first chapter is, you know, is to practice deep breathing, um, yes, meditate. Yes, therapist. Yes, Keep see a therapist. Journal. 
uh, keep a journal and meditate once a week. Not every day, you know, not well, twice a day. Well, that's doable. I, I, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's not smart goals. Otherwise, yeah. if you're setting yourself up to fail, you'll stop doing it. So this that's book right. is about giving yourself permission to make some mistakes, to fall behind once in a while, but to keep to your plan, to keep to your goals. To keep to you, that's so right to me because there really is no business before it's more important than planning the second half of our lives. And we really don't believe that we should let life just happen to us. No, I mean, because if just, you let life happen, life designs the, the life for you. you have that's to right. Your that's exactly life. right. And, and we're smart and we're experienced and we know what we want. And we should be able to live the second half of our lives wisely and mindfully um, and with great purpose, really. And, and also I very like, happily. I, yes. I, I really felt in reading your book that the, the purpose of being happy and laughing a lot and enjoying your relationships is very important. And both of you have had long-term marriages and your children, and it's very important to keep things going. And so you even have a chapter in here about finances and where do you want to live when your kids have left the nest and you're retired. You know, woe to that name, retired. But I found that to be really a fascinating chapter that a lot of people don't even want to write about. Yeah, they want to sort of wind up someplace or else they want to, you know, sort of say, I want to go to Hawaii or, I, you know, I want to go, you know, somewhere and, 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 and play golf and sit on a porch and, and rock in my rocking chair. And, and we really believe that most of us, I mean, that's why we don't really use the, the as we call it, the R world word in our book, right. retirement. You, you make that um, very clear. <laughs> yeah. We really believe that most of us are going to be working well into our 70s, not just because it may be necessary, but also because we want to be working in some form or another. We want to be engaged and we want to be active. Well, and, and it's like living your dream. So if you're yeah. not going to be in the career you're in now that you've been in for 30 years or whatever, is what is the new thing you're going to do? Are you going to paint? Are you going to write? You going exactly. To, you know, and that's well, one of the great well. exercises that we do when we have people, we call it the dream cake, and we have people sit, again, quietly, breathe, commune with yourself, and imagine what you're doing on on, a, on an average day 10 to 15 years from now. And we really ask them to, to really fill in the details and, and get really quiet and, and play with it, but, but really think where are they, what are they doing, who are they with. And we ask them even in advance of this to name the four most, these are the ingredients for what we call the dream cake. What are the four most important things in the world to you? And, you know, we get all kinds of answers uh, for this, you know, some people say it's, you know, uh, nature, sports, family, friends. I mean, there are some common patterns, but there are also some very interesting ones. We had a woman last week who said pencils, water. What else did she say, Buffy? And then I think she said friends and humor. And humor. But, it, you know, it was very, very basic. You know, it was very important for her to either drink water or be around water and pencils because she wrote and she draw, drew, and that was really important to her. And so when, when, we, when, our, when our tea party guests go into this dream cake state, if you will, and then we ask them to write it down because writing things down we also believe is very important because it's a kind of a declaration, a kind of commitment in, in you know, an, uh, on paper. Well, to I what, think something what magical want. happens when you get it out of your yeah. head and get it to your, get it that's, to paper. That's exactly it. Is it magical? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I guess that's why Buffy and I feel that in so many respects, this time of our lives 
is more exciting than any other time of our lives, except maybe when we were graduating high school, when we had all those possibilities before us. And that's why we're coming of age all over again. Exactly. Right, Cynthia? Yes. I mean, that's what I, I know. I love it. You know, I, I got to tell you, my book, I emailed Buffy, is very dog-eared. I've, I've only had it a short time. It's highlighted in pink and yellow. Oh, and it's oh excellent. And I, I believe, I just want to say to all the listeners out there, that this is a book that you will cherish for a very long time and you will come back to it because it is such a great reference book for so many things, from books to read and websites and things to do and the tips and the exercises and just the humor. You both have such a terrific sense of humor. It's a pleasurable, pleasurable book to read. And the lastly is it makes you think, especially at the, in these later years in life, where do you want to live? How do you want to spend it? Where are you going to be with your kids? So I want to give out your website because everybody needs to go there and they can organize a tea party and get your book, right? Yes, and, absolutely. And do this themselves. So Kate and Buffy's website is www.comingofageagain.com. That's comingofageagain.com. And the name of the book is Coming of Age All Over Again. And it truly is the ultimate life handbook, not just midlife handbook, Kate and Buffy. It's a life handbook. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. You have been listening to Kate Kilmo and Buffy Shutt, their book, Coming of Age All Over Again, The Ultimate Midlife Handbook. Go to their web, comingofageagain.com. I'm Cynthia Bryan. I'm your personal growth coach, and I loved this book. I'll be back in a moment. planet be like if women ruled the world? Well, find out when Sheila Ellison joins us, coming right up on Star Style, Be the Star You Are with Cynthia Bryan. Looking for answers to those uncommon questions? Looking for a way to heal? Looking for spiritual guidance? Come visit www.angelstoguideyou.com. We are all blessed with spiritual helpers, spiritual gifts, and spiritual healing. Get in touch with your spirit. Get answers. Get healing. www.angelstoguideyou.com. Remember, you're not alone. angelstoguideyou.com. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. The success of all humans boils down to the basic premise that we are what we think we are and we become what we think we can be. In order to be the best person we can be, it is critical to examine exemplary role models, watch empowering films, read enriching books, and develop core values. Integrity cannot be replaced with ingenuity. We can all better ourselves and our performances by making accurate personal assessments, observing accomplished people, and investing for the long term in our quest for excellence. What you think about and talk about comes about. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style with another Business Bites. 
You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Apathy sweeping our country, and as a nation, we're growing more accustomed to violence, chaos, abuse, and a plethora of negative influences. Be the star you are believes that stories of inspiration and hope should be available to everyone, regardless of income or ability. Believing that information infused with inspiration has the power to transform and change lives, Be the Star You Are brings you this radio program every week with authors and experts. Please get involved. Go to be the star you are dot org. Well, welcome back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I am your personal growth expert, Cynthia Bryan. And how many times have you sat with friends or sat in a meeting or a gathering and proclaimed, if women ruled the world, what kind of world would we live in? Well, Inner Ocean Publishing posed that question and asked author Sheila Ellison, who is the founder of the nonprofit organization Single Moms Connect, to compile and edit the essays from women. Women do have a voice. Women have community. And women are ready to rule. Let's welcome Sheila to be the star you are. Hi, Sheila. Hello, Cynthia. What a great title, If Women Rule the World. I mean, you know, of course, most of us think that we already do, but the fact is we don't. And themes in your book are covering everything from equal pay for equal work to the sexual shifting of women. You had the opportunity to travel and speak to many of these women and hear their voices. And you have these issues here in your book, If Women Rule the World, How to Create the World We Want to Live In. What were some of the things that you felt that you heard over and over again that perhaps you could only include a few stories about? Well, what I heard in that were across the board, no matter what economic background, no matter what you'd been, what the women had been exposed to, was two things. They were overwhelmed. They felt like they'd sort of taken on, like there was a lot of, um, expression of how the women's revolution was wonderful, but where do we draw the lines here? Like, we know we can do everything. Does that mean we have to do everything? There was a lot of exhaustion, a lot of women that were overwhelmed that felt like if they were raising their kids, they really couldn't have an impact on the world, that they were so busy being overwhelmed with their lives, their careers, their families, that where could they take action? So... um on a whole, I think that women have so much power, and a lot of times it's just figuring out that there's little ways that we can put the, that to action in our lives, and at different stages in our life, we have more ability to do that than others. Well, and I think you hit it with the word exhaustion, because today, more than ever before, women are juggling um, careers, they have a workforce, they are also in the home, they'll have children. If you have chosen not to have children, they'll have perhaps even aging parents in their lives. Whatever it is, is women have taken on a huge role today so that they're, they're having to earn the income. It's like that commercial from before is, you know, bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan, and then be sexy for their man. Right. And it's, it's a lot to ask. So it's really time that we start looking at some of these things and identifying who we are as women and what we can bring to the table. So what you've been, what you did in your book is you've divided it into chapters and I like that the first chapter is talking about be the, have the courage to be ourselves. And I think that's really uh, very important because 
Uh, we were talking earlier in the show about the media and the impact it has on the image that little girls see of themselves and the problems that we're having with anorexia and bulimia and other eating disorders because we are the, the, the media feeds us images that women are these perfect idols, you know, that we have to be a size zero if we're going to be okay. Yeah, and, and something interesting I think for us to all remember is we buy into that idea. And it sets women up for a very difficult life where we're competing with each other, where we're jealous if we don't get that, where we think we never feel good about ourselves because there's always someone that's been airbrushed to look better than any human being in person could look. Exactly. The expectations are so out of proportion. And because of these expectations that we buy into by buying the magazines and by being the ones who spend the most, we write the most checks, into these That's right, and that's what, this is what you talk about in your book, is that it's the female, if we want to rule, we're going to have to let the advertisers know that we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore, and that means not buying the magazines, not watching those shows, not buying those products. Well, and also something for the adult women that have children that I found astounding that my daughter pointed out to me is that we as women, mothers with girls, have a huge role to play because when we complain about ourselves, so we stand in front of a mirror and we say, I feel fat today or I don't look very good, it really communicates something to our daughters about how we see ourselves. And so we have to change the way we communicate about ourselves to those around us. No more complaining about the diet that doesn't work and, you know, how we look and how we have to do this and how we have to do that. That, that just feeds into the idea that we have way more interesting things to talk about and focus on, and we need to communicate that to our daughters and to our girlfriends and to the women that were around that, that by focusing our energy on these these things that don't really matter, we don't find the courage to be ourselves because we can't find ourselves. We don't have the time or energy to devote to um, really deeper issues and thoughts and dreams and and uh, intellectual or political or social things because we're so busy, so concerned with what we look like. So we have to just be and quit doing so much. Yes. I mean, it's like it's like stop, look, and listen. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a good way to look at it. And you know, the, the, there's something about um, feeling like you can make a difference that also came through. In the, in the women that I felt most were most empowered, even if it were the smallest things. So if a woman can say, uh, and I, 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 I sort of formed the whole idea of the format of the book based on what we start with ourselves, you know, the courage to be ourselves, and it goes out to our families. You're like, we're the circle, and the circle gets bigger. Then it goes out to the community, then it goes out to the world, and then goes out, you know, out and out and out. But that we have so much power in the littlest things. And things like, you know, we may want peace in the world in a huge scale, and yet, you know, we barely have time to do some of the things in our life. So we, aren't, we can't be out there. It's not our job at this time in our life to do some of these activist things we'd love to be able to do. So what do I tell them? And what am I learning is that within your family, if you can't create peace and, and do it in the small ways within your family unit, then it doesn't matter if you can do it. For the world, there's there's little yeah, what pieces. What you're saying is it has to start at home. Well, Everything, just like we've said for years, you know, about 
you know, love starts at home. Well, peace starts at home. Everything starts at home. Right, and, and it love starts you. within ourselves. Exactly, and so, so there are so many ways. So the idea that that we were asking women to contemplate when if women rule the world, what we really wanted, what I really wanted them to come to the conclusion of is we do rule so many parts of ourselves, but we haven't claimed them. We sit back and we, we don't um, t- use the power that we have starting with ourselves by not buying into this idea and being who we are and, and having the courage to be ourselves. Then as we go out to our family by saying, you know what, I have a lot of power to set up how this family is going to work and how the relationships by who I am and by what I find important and by how I value myself and how as a mother I don't put everyone else first all the time but see our family as a team. What does that teach your children? It really teaches them about partnership, about what they will do in the work world, about valuing every person as being equal. Well, you talk in your book there's many, many um observations about being a role model. And one of the things that I thought was so very important that you wrote, and it is changes about movement, and movement in any direction is impossible without an idea. Being afraid to rule is no longer an option. You have to start in your backyard, take it out to the streets, and as the old saying goes, to the world you might be just one person, but to one person you might be the world. And that's so critical that we all become role models from our family outward. And in your book you have a call to action in the various chapters, which are absolute tips on how you can start right now from volunteering with your kids, you know, at a soup kitchen or organizing to sharing your talents. It's very important that you, you don't just think about it. You have to go into action to make it happen. Yes, and I think the, the empowerment that we get and the confidence we get in our abilities, when we do that and experience that uh, connection in all areas of what we can do and what women can do working together and what we can do for our daughters and for our sons and for the world as role models, it is so empowering, and it gives you confidence to do things you never thought you could do. Well, the book, again, is a conglomeration, a gathering of essays from different women. And one of the essays that stands out to me right now is it's called, We Would Use the Role of Chief Purchasing Officers of Our Households to Influence Politics and Policy. This was written by uh, Carrie McCammon. And her call to action that you've written in here is to how to exercise your influence is what we were talking about earlier is to purchase environmentally sound products, make organic food choices, support educational products, uh, be discriminate in your TV, your Internet, your radio viewing and listening, and buy magazines with advertising and messages that support women and support small independent companies and businesses. I think this is very critical as as a first step for women. Yes. So, see, there's things that don't change your life so much. So the whole important point for anybody, for all of us women is to take a step, any step in a direction that you are called to, to make life better for yourself, for your family, for our world. And there's, there's little ways that you can do it, incorporating it into your life that are the little steps that get you going in the direction you want to be going. 
because otherwise we're not going to have the influence that we are, we already have it. Basically what your book is saying is we already have the influence, we're just not exercising that right that we have right and now. And we're not supporting each other. We, we aren't exercising the right in some cases because we are exhausted, we are overwhelmed, we haven't set up great boundaries in our life, we've decided we haven't come to, not everybody's come to the point yet that we understand that we can do everything, but not at the same time. That's so. it. So the multitasking that we talk about all the time, although it can be useful in some ways, we really have to learn to unitask and to do one thing at a, at a time and do it with great love and, and great appreciation and more compassion. Or, or have less, less, our expectations are so high that we're disappointed and exhausted. So to say to ourselves, you know what, I'm a valuable person. I have the right to have goals and dreams and not constantly be putting myself aside in order to facilitate other people's lives, which is, our, is a big amount of what women spend their time doing. We facilitate other people's lives, and we don't actually heal and take care of ourselves as much as we need to, which drains our, our energy and power to make these big steps to, to improve things and get the world going the way we want it to be. Well, in that, I think that is definitely the key is that most women don't put themselves first, and we have to learn to say, I'm number one, and if I can take care of myself, then I'll have the energy to take care of somebody else. But until we start putting ourselves first, then we're not going to be able to take our place of power. So uh, what is your dream, just to, uh, if, to end the hour, if women ruled the world, what would it look like? I think it would be a place of partnership where together both male and female energy had the better good. I mean, that's what the higher good of peace and environmentally sound decisions and a less materialistic, more um, connected environment. We would be a community of people caring and loving each other with compassion. The name of the book is If Women Ruled the World, How to Create the World We Want to Live In. And Sheila Ellison is the editor. Sheila, thanks for being a guest. We want everybody to go to www.completemom.com. That's Sheila's website, and you can find out more about this book and other books, completemom.com. Thank you, Sheila, for being on the show. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style. Be the star you are. Go out into the world. Make it a great day. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org and celebrate in the moment. Till I see you next week. Be the star you are. I'm Cynthia Bryan. Thanks for listening. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. Show the world.